Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of the world's funniest comedians. This is Comedy Goldmines with Kevin Hart. Welcome. Welcome to an all-new episode of Comedy Goldmines, where we do what? What do we do here? Hmm? Sometimes I swear I wish I could hear you guys back, because I know this is when you would yell out, we get inside the minds of brilliant comedians. If there was an audience, that's what the audience would say. We get inside the minds of brilliant comedians. And woo, woo, today's it's a doozy. Yes, I used the word doozy. You're not going to make me feel bad about it. I'm getting old. I'm 42. Doozy is an amazing word when used properly. And today I feel like I'm using it properly because today, today we are getting inside the minds of one of Australia's finest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show. The man, the myth, the legend, Jim Jeffries. Oh, oh hello, Kevin. That wowzers. That's what I'm going to say back. I'm going to meet you doozy with that. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're 42. Wait till you're 44 like me, mate. You start saying real old timey words. But yeah, no, thanks for having me on the show, man. Man, what are you talking about? Thank you for being on my show. There's a mutual, a mutual appreciation here, man. Uh, I have no show without the dope people to talk to. And sir... You are one of them. Oh. Jim, you know, you and I have met. We've met before. Yeah. We haven't spent an abundance of time together. We don't know each other inside and out. I can't tell people what your favorite meal is, but after this, I feel like I'll be able to. We've crossed each other's paths at different festivals just for laughs, etc. Yes. Yes, we have. Uh, last time I saw you was at the Just Flash Festival, right? We were we were getting awards, me and you. We were both getting awards. You were, I was getting some type of comedian of the year thing, and you were getting like a lifetime achievement thing, which means, I think that's art. You get the comedian of the year, and then you get the lifetime achievement later on. So you get a lifetime achievement, and you're you're two years younger than me, and I get the I get the new up and coming <laughs> award. So that's always a nice look. <laughs> And I also got the award that uh, the way I got that award was um, uh, I was umming and ahhing about going to the festival and Bruce Hills, who I like very much, who's been who supported my career for many, many years. Such a great guy. Such a great guy. And he, he, he got me to do his festivals in my early 20s. So he really helped me out and getting into America is a lot of because of him. And uh, and so I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to go to the festival. And he's like. I'll I'll give you comedian of the year, and yeah. I've never had a trophy for fucking shit. And it turns out that's how simple-minded I am. But I'm like, I will fly to another country to pick up a shiny little statue. Like you've probably not probably you've got real ones, right? You've got real I, I, things. I have some awards. I do have yeah. some awards. Yeah, no, no, no. They've never given me shit. So I was very excited. I have that though, and it's a very weighty thing. And it's like 
if someone breaks in my house, that's what I'm going to kill them with. That. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like with all the celebrities, there's one Emmy death away. You know, we've got to be close to one celebrity, like someone sneaking into their house to stab them and they just get bludgeoned with an Oscar. Like that's got to happen once, right? <laughs> somebody, somebody has to use it as a weapon. Yeah. They have to. Absolutely. You, you said that uh, this is... This is your first award. You said you don't get awards. Um, as a comedian, especially one who's achieved your level of success, and we'll get into that in a second, do you feel like that's important? Do you feel like the acknowledgement is important? No. Well, I, I remember I used to do the Edinburgh Festival a lot, and the Edinburgh Festival had an award. I think it was called the Perrier Award. And I, I, when, it, when I say I think, I know it was called the Perrier Award, but it, it's changed names since then. And it was basically the best act of the festival. And I remember being like 23, 24 and going to the festival and thinking, if I got that, my whole mm. life would change. You know, if I could win that award. And I'd go up there and I'd sell really well and I'd get reviewed really well and I would never get nominated. And then I start, a, a very smart comic who I respected very much said to me, he goes, you don't want that award. He goes, if you can get a panel of 10 people to agree that you're a good comedian, you're probably not a good comedian. Wow. Right? <laughs> what comedian was that? It was Andrew Maxwell. Oh, so yes, yes. Amazing comedian. So I, I, I thought when I heard that, I go, yeah, you shouldn't have that many people agreeing that you're okay. By the way, how profound is that? It's so simple, but yet so profound. Because if you're a comic, yeah. you know why that makes sense. We are the most... Uh, opinionated people, especially when it comes to humor on earth. Well, I think, I think with the old comedy, I think people have very, very exact opinions on what they like and what they don't like, even more so than music. People that like can be with their bands and they'll go, oh, but that person has a song that I like. No one ever goes, people go, mm -hmm. I love that comedian. I hate that comedian, but he has that one joke. They write you off completely. They either mm -hmm. love you or hate you. It's either they like you or they don't. It's not sometimes. No. It's not sometimes yeah. at all. When did you hit your stride, man? Because you, you mentioned earlier, you said, you know, uh, that's how you got over to the U.S. You know, you were you were huge in Australia, um, you know, for some time. You talked about your, your career. You were going back to, you know, when you were in your 20s, 23, and you're talking, oh, my God, when I, when I. Um, in Australia, when did you hit that stride where it was, okay, this is now starting to reach a level of real success for me. Like this is, this is getting big. Well, I didn't hit it in Australia first. I moved to, I moved to London on September 12th, 20, uh, 2001. How so, old were you then? It's uh, 20 years ago. Uh, Cause it was the anniversary of 9-11. Oh, so, yes. No, just, so I, was, I was 24. So I'd been doing stand up in, in, in uh, math is definitely my subject. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so. okay, <laughs> but uh, I remember cause I saw the twin towers go down. I, I was the first time I was ever getting on an international flight for a big trip. And I was like a little, you know, nervous, you know? And so I went over to England and things were going okay for me. I, I did the Edinburgh festival and then, um, I kept on doing the Edinburgh Festival and that was the only, it was before the internet, it was before camera phones, that sort of stuff. And there was no sort of, the only way to gauge if you were doing well, which I think is a better system, was how many people were buying tickets to see you. It was your mm -hmm. benchmark. Mm -hmm. And so I kept on doing the Edinburgh Festival and all that sort of stuff. And then I just got to a stage, and I think 2006, where I was like, I don't have to do the clubs anymore because, you know, you know in, in America, when you play clubs, you can play a club and there'll be a big 
act in the club. You know, they'll go mm-hmm. this weekend we have Kevin Nealand or what, what you know, they have like a big act. A headliner. headliner they got a big headliner coming. Where mm-hmm. in the UK they don't advertise a headliner. The comedy store just is on. It's a Friday night. Do you want to show up or not? You know, I mean they don't advertise the acts. They might have you on a little board out the front, but there's nothing print or any advertising. So once you once you decide that you're getting big too, too big for the clubs you go rent yourself out a little 400 seat theater in leicester square or something and you see if people will just show up to see it got so, you so i had just gotten to that stage in 2006 where i was like okay well i can oh, it's crazy that you say that though because you know in america like you said there's a big act there's a headlining act and you're promoted in whatever city or state you're in and you know you use that you use that energy from being marketed from being promoted to say oh my god i'm getting big I'm, I'm now growing out of the mm. stage. If they're not marketing you or promoting you, how are you gauging? How are you gauging when you're ready to take that next step in the UK? Well, I, it's, it's sort of, well, the, the Edinburgh Festival is the way to do it because the Edinburgh Festival, you went up and you put your, it's not like, it's not like just for laughs where they employ you to come up there. You're booking at your own space and you're paying for your own posters and you're backing yourself. Got I, it. I will say this about the, the, the British system over the American system. There, there is more, uh camaraderie in the uk and the reason for that is that you're talking about amongst amongst comedians amongst comedians got it it's not that the british people are nicer or the american people aren't there isn't the haves and the have-nots that you have so in an american comedy club you'll have a headliner that might be getting twenty thousand dollars for the whole weekend and the opening acts are literally getting 40 bucks a show you know, you've been that experience yes yes in Britain, everyone's getting 200 pounds for the gig, regardless, because none of you are in that breakout zone where you booked your own theatre. So, so we all earned 200 pounds. And so it felt like we were all sort of equal, you know what I mean? So you had your opinions on that fella's shit or that person's good or that person's bad, but it didn't really matter because there was, you weren't envious of them because they weren't earning thousands of dollars more than you. There was never, why am I not getting this? And they're getting that, you know, there was never that type of system. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, but to speak on the when I broke thing, so 2006, I'd just broken out of the comedy clubs and was about to own tour, and the tour was selling okay, and it was just in little 300, 400-seat venues, like little tiny theatres around the country, community town halls and stuff. And uh, I luckily got punched in the head, and I got punched in the head on stage in the Manchester Comedy Store by an audience member who ran up and thank God it was before camera phones because the only footage was the footage that I could control because it was the surveillance footage from the comedy club. There wasn't, what? there wasn't, it wasn't in the era now where there would be a thousand different angles and everyone giving their opinion and people putting up different clips. It was just someone ran on stage and punched me. And then it was just like, and tickets are on sale now. And so I, <laughs> I was holy shit. One of the great breaks of my life was getting punched in the head. I will, I will say that. Now you know. Look, I've I've met people in this world. I've heard about the story, by the way. I've heard about the story of you getting punched in the head. Is it? It's a it's a legendary story. So I shouldn't act as if I'm like so shocked because I know about it. I've watched TV shows in America, like when audiences attack and all that type of stuff, and there I fucking am. My son. My son, you know, he's eight, right? But like a couple of years ago, he was obsessed with fails. You know, they love watching people fall over. It's basically, yeah, they they call fails on the computer. And then my son had no real sort of idea of what I did for a living, you know. And then he just, it just showed up in one of the fails. And he just came to me and he's like, dad, you're one of the fails. And that's when he realized (laughs) that I might be someone special. I've been a fail. (laughs) 
So you, I want to go back to something that you said that's so uh, that's so intriguing, just about the system within the the comic community in the UK, right? And you know, everybody kind of being on that equal level until they make a massive jump. When you look at a lot of the problems that we have, um, you know, in our community, it comes with the separation of who's making what for being funny. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's that's where it comes. That's where the anger. That's where the the jealousy, the envy, the hate, all of that stuff is built up from i can't believe this person is making this and i'm making this and i feel like i'm funnier it's always a judge of i'm funnier why not me yeah right and because of that not existing in the uk for quite some time because everybody's on that grow together until they can go and sell um like you said at that festival to where they can go do their own show find success there start selling out then it's oh my god it's now my time to move into the next stages are you still supported heavily um, because every comedian knows the path that it takes to get there, are you still getting that love from the comics out there? Uh, in the UK, well, you know, I still, I still think I have more of a UK sensibility to my comedy because I, you know, that's where I properly developed as a comedian. Um, but yeah, I, I think so. I still just have all my old friends, you know, they're still the people I talk to. I don't really know many of the young comics. So I just haven't had an opportunity to work with them. You know, that's, uh, you know how it is. Often people go, what do you think of this comic? What do you think of that comic? And it's like, until you work with them, you don't really know. We don't sit at home and watch. Absolutely. Uh, and then I broke Australia, uh, it was the last place I broke. I used to go back to Australia. I was selling out England. I was selling out America. I did, I did Carnegie Hall over here and then I'd go back to Australia and I'd do a fucking comedy club and I was like, what the fuck? Why, why is this sort of happening? <laughs> and then, and then all, of a, all of a sudden, now I sell bigger in Australia than I do anywhere else. It's like the Australians, because of, because of you know, me being a local guy, I had to prove myself overseas, you know? So, uh, and, it's, and that's fine, but it's like one, thing, one pet hate I have is when Americans... You know, so I, I I did that same place that you did in you know the Rod Laver Arena. You were you were actually yes. touring, you were touring Australia about a, a month before I was. By the way, love love Australia, a mass a massive market for me. Love the people in Australia, but yes, the Rod Laver Arena. I was doing the Rod Laver <laughs> Arena, and I the thing that always annoys me about sometimes uh, some people who don't like me will say this. They'll go, well, he's only funny because of his accent. The accent's the whole reason that anyone likes him and stuff like that. And then you go, I just sold 13,000 seats with cunts who have the same fucking accent. You think they're impressed by the thing? <laughs> you think but I tell you, have you been back to Australia recently with the, with the lot? I'll tell you a little story about Australia that happened recently. Okay. Okay, love the story. I was booked to. I, I I was not booked. I was asked if I could be a judge on Australia's Got Talent, right? Okay. And I, and I, I was like, fucking yeah, that sounds like the easiest gig in the world. I get to be like, I get to be like gold buzzer. You're good. You're bad. I'm like, this is got to be the piss easy fucking job. I'll do this all day, right? And so they said, block the time off. You know, you, you're going to be able to do the show and that type of stuff. And then it was like. So this is all done. They go, yeah, these are the dates. And then it was like, we just need one more person to sign off at the network. You know, when they do that, and then he's oh. on holiday and all this. We're there. We're, we're right there. We just, yeah, yeah, we yeah. just need one more, just yeah. one more like check just before we go full speed. Yeah. And then we're hitting the ground running. But we're Every, close. Everyone's super excited to have you, Jim. This is very exciting, right? 
So anyway, I just stop hearing from him. I'm getting ghosted and all this type of stuff. And then I'm like, I guess I'm not doing Australia's Got Talent. But I'd already, I, to the extent that I'd already blocked off those dates, you know, to go to Australia. And I was like, fuck it. I'll just do another tour of Australia. And I was going to do like a Netflix uh, documentary thing while I was out there as well. And, and so a little bit of telly and I'll do a tour of Australia and that'll be fine. And then fuck Australia's Got Talent. I, I you know, they didn't give me the job, right? Mm-hmm. So to get to Australia now with COVID, you have to quarantine for two weeks. So I got to go into a hotel and I got to sit there. And my wife at the stage, I just had a baby a month ago. My wife at this stage is six months pregnant. And, okay. and we, have to, we have to sit there in one hotel room with a security guard sitting at the front fucking door of our thing. We're not allowed to leave the room for two weeks, right? While we're in there, I see an advert for Australia's Got Talent. And it's like this, come out to the auditions of Australia's Got Talent with our new judge. And I was sitting there going, all right, who the fuck did they fucking get instead of me, right? And it was like Neil Patrick Harris. And I'm like, that's a pretty good get. That's a good get for Australian TV. He's a big deal. I understand now. They got Neil Patrick Harris. Why didn't you just ring me up and go, we got Neil Patrick Harris. We don't need you. I would have got it. Right. So I'm like, I'm like, all right. All right. Fair enough. Neil fucking Patrick Harris. Right. So anyway, last two days of quarantine, Australia hadn't had any COVID for about 10 months. And then they had one case and then they had two cases and they had three cases. And I get out of, I get out of quarantine. They're getting like 50 cases of COVID a day. And, and, and they're like, all your shows are canceled. Just go home. Right. I've been in quarantine for two weeks. I'm like, this fucking sucks. So I drove up and I saw my dad for one day. I went, g'day dad. Nice to see you. Gotta go home. Right, I got straight back on a plane and I, I came back. So I'm I'm in business class with my pregnant wife and me, and there's only there's only four other people sitting in business class, and one of them's Neil fucking Patrick Harris because his shows were cancelled as well. They couldn't do the auditions, and I had a little bit of that that German Freudenschnauzer or whatever they fucking call it, where you take joy in other people's misery. And I was like, all right, fuck Australia's got talent. I didn't bloody work out with him either. Hey, to my to my listeners, man. Uh, if you do not know, this is what Jim does very well. Jim is a extraordinary storyteller, extraordinary. Uh, Jim, I love your approach to your material. I love how you paint pictures. I love how the punchlines come so fast, just in your honesty. Um, when you're talking about that, what makes me laugh the most is you know the the idea of well. You know, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make some some lemonade out of these lemons. America's got talent to have me block off these dates. Fuck it. Fuck it. I'm just gonna go out here. I'll do some touring anyway, which was probably better. Yeah. I'll probably make some crazier money tours, sell these arenas or whatever out. You get there, you quarantine. I just love that as soon as you're able to step outside, they go, Well, wait a minute. Well, wait a fucking minute. No, guys, we gotta shut everything down. And then you go, but wait a minute. Wait, wait a, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold the fuck on. Well, well, I guess I'll see my dad. <laughs> why, why do fathers, fathers always get the short end of the stick? I went, well, I went and saw me dad for five minutes, but it's, uh, at one stage when I pulled out the, uh, because we were rescheduling the gigs, we already knew they were canceled because there was too many, you know, cases of COVID and they were shutting down the town, all that type of stuff. And then the media said that I was a potential super spreading event. 
So not only yeah. did I get out, but I was in trouble for having it a show that I booked there. If I, so right now, I'll tell, I'll tell you what's happening right now. Me and um, I'm performing at the Beacon Theatre tonight, and I was there last night. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, um, Jim Gaffigan is down the road at Radio City Music Hall. And the Tony Awards have gotten very upset at both of us because they were going to reschedule their award show, but the two of the theatres are being used up by comedians. Absolutely. Well, fuck you, Tony Awards. I booked yeah. this place 10 months ago. You, Absolutely. You, don't blame me. Like, I'm meant to step aside. You go, your whole business is theatres. You know every theatre in town. You're the fucking Tony Awards. Here's the bigger thing. I mean, the bigger thing is you see the need and want for comedy. People want to laugh. People are so, yeah, yeah. so eager to get back and, and laugh and have a good time, man. I think that's a, it's a beautiful thing for comedy and the comedians because you got to think, man, you know, our, our craft got hit extremely hard. We are a, a live atmosphere craft. You know, our, our business is all based on uh, people and their ability to come out and have a good time. And it's almost uh, two years that would be going on that I was shut down. So I, I love that every comedian is back out right now. There's so many tours going on right now. Everybody's tour gonna announce at the same time, and every comedian I I, w- I would gamble to say is coming out and saying the, the same line. They're all saying it's good to be back, and the audience are cheering. Absolutely. Right? Everyone's starting off with the same thing, and people are they're so excited. You go, you say to them, you go, I haven't done stand up in two years, and they're so excited and so happy to see you. And it's, I think. I think uh, they took us for granted and we took them for granted because when you're separated from them, all of a sudden you go, oh, I miss those Absolutely. people who used to come and see Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, how, how did you go about working on material, you know, through the pandemic? Um, I did. Uh, I went around to the clubs and I, I, I around LA and I did some uh, material here and there. And then there's some bits that I just went into, you know, blind last night. You know, I just, I, I had a couple of routines about me dad and stuff like that, that I just, uh, said to the audience, look, this is brand new. I hope it works out. If it doesn't, sometimes I just do that. And I, I always make a lot of people say, how do you try out new material? And for the most part, I do it on the road because there's, there's a thing in LA that you'll remember this when you were a newer comic, right? You remember this, then people go like this, Hey, come down to my club and do a spot. It's a great place to try out new stuff. That's like, that's a way of saying we're not going to pay you. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you like to and, I, and I'm fine with that. But the idea of it's a great place to try out new material. No, it's not. There might be an agent or someone important in the audience. It's a terrible place to try out new material. I'm not doing that where important people might be. I, I try out new material in between my good material when I'm in Kansas. You can buffer it. You can hide it. You can buffer it. And sometimes I just even say to them, I'm doing a new bit. And then I go, there's a real good bit afterwards. <laughs> Thank you for your patience. Yeah, just give me a second. <laughs> let me let me throw yeah. this bogey in here real yeah. quick and let's see what happens. And also there's certain jokes that if you try it out, uh, that there's certain jokes that are just for your fan base. They might have callbacks to things from previous jokes or they have to sort of know something going on with your life or, you know, maybe the relationship you have with your parents or whatever. And so if you do that in a comedy club, it doesn't quite work out as well. Well, I love, I love what you just said because your audience grows with you. 
right? And through the mm. years of your success uh, and, and specials that you've done, you know, your, your audience is familiar with your life. So, so yeah. as you've grown, they've grown. As we've been through our life obstacles, they're aware. So when you talk about your growth from or your moments of going back to, they're, they're right there with you every step of the way. And I think that's the best part about growing in this space. That's the best part about evolving in comedy. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Do you ever feel old when you meet like a 22-year-old who's like, oh, I've been watching you since I was like 10. And then you're like, you're a fucking adult, man. Don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what hit me the other day? I'm going to tell you what hit me the other day, what I'm going through right now, Jim. Mm. I'm envious of the energy of the younger comic. Right. I'm envious of that aggressive, raw approach to the craft, right? Like they they have so much that they can talk about. They got so many different directions. Mm. It's it's edgy, it's fun, it's it's real, it's new because it's all about the new eyesight to life now, right? There's something very exciting about being on the way up as well. It's so, it's so, it's so, it's so amazing to watch a hungry person mm. eat. And I'm, I'm, that's a, that's a metaphor attached to comedy. Uh, because when, when you and I, you know, we're, we're poised, we're professional, right? Mm. But we've talked about it all. We've talked about it. We've, we've been through the craziness. So now when you're talking about the other side of life, when you're talking about the growth, well, we're now redefining ways for us to be funny because, you know, we, we got to make you understand we're not the old versions of our crazy self that we once were. Well, no, it, it, I can't talk about drugs and prostitutes anymore because I don't take drugs or have... You don't do it anymore. anymore so <laughs> I, you don't do it I anymore. I have a wife and a baby, so my life's a bit different, you know what I mean? So you got to talk about that stuff and you hope your audience are now at sort of the same place you are or they can see what you're doing through a different lens but it's yeah also i'm not as angry as i used to be i used to be a very angry young comedian as well why do you think that was um oh there's just something 
you know, what's the point? It's like, I, I'm a, I'm an atheist. Right. And so some of my early work was very influenced by like George Carlin mm-hmm. or Bill Hicks or whatever. Like it was like, I got to talk about atheism. I got to tell people ha- where it's at and all that type of stuff. And now it's like, mm-hmm. I don't dislike religious people. I used to think I did dislike religious people. And now I'm like, yeah, there's, there's so many gray areas mm-hmm. in the world. I personally believe there is no God, but that's, that's my belief. That's your personal that's belief. That's my personal belief. I'm not angry now at people who do believe there is right i used to be sort of angry at him because this is right and you're wrong and now i don't give a fuck who's right or wrong unless it's really detrimental to our society and i don't believe that those things sort of are you know as long as you don't push your religion on me i don't think but like i met a lot of atheists over the course of being an atheist who were just fucking assholes you know they Mm -hmm. (laughs) they were as militant as a super religious person isn't um who else? Uh, Ricky Gervais. Ricky Gervais. Isn't, isn't Ricky Gervais an atheist as well? He's an atheist. Yes, an atheist as well. Yeah. He's an atheist. And, uh, you know, but the, I started doing uh, a couple of like atheist conventions and the, the, it was like, it was the first time I ever got like sort of corporate. performing, performing at atheist convention. Yeah, yeah. So I was getting That's like pretty, cor- corporate money, and I was like, I, I was, I, it was the most money I ever got paid. How big? Wait, how big? How big? Like five, atheist. six thousand people at the gigs. You know, that were big gigs at that stage. I wasn't doing gigs anywhere near that size. They were like mm-hmm. big auditorium type of things. And I remember thinking that even if I found God, I'd keep my mouth shut because the money was really good. <laughs> You know, I can't, I can't, I, but what I did find out, so you get a lot of people, you get a lot of these sort of intellectuals who came up to speak and fuck me if half the atheists didn't try to look like God. There are all these guys with like long robes and white beards going, there's no God, that's ridiculous. And I guess I've got to fucking dress like him. Yes. You know what though? Here's where I, I, I love the idea of what people can achieve and be right you saying that you're an atheist doesn't bother me no right it doesn't make me go i gotta shut this podcast down what the fuck is going on (laughs) hell no what 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 it doesn't bother me right you have a choice in what you want to do with your life the same way i have a choice in what i want to do with my life i'm more intrigued by your ability to be honest in just who you are, which ultimately is is what's the best feature of comedians. That's that's our that's our asset, our our honesty, our ability to be so vulnerable and tell you about who we are, what we are, and why, and and we do it to hope that you'll like it and laugh. Have you ri- have you written a biography yet? Uh, yes, yes. I, I I got asked a couple of times. I'm a little hesitant about doing it. Why? I just feel like I've said all my good stories on stage. If you want to know about me, it's all sort of out there on the specials. The rest of it, I feel, is a little bit, you know, there's things from my childhood and stuff like that that I don't want to revisit. And I don't think it's anyone's business in a way. I feel like I give so much of my personal life already on stage that I just mm-hmm. want a few things to myself. It's a Well, I'm not here to... I'm not here to tell you to to dig deeper. That's not my job. I can tell you. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not saying it, but like I, 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 I find it surprising that people. I can tell you the benefit that it was for me. I, I, I'll, I'll do that. I'll tell you. Yeah. Where, where it served a valuable um, purpose for me, right? It's like our fans do know who we are through our stand-up specials. I believe you got eight specials. You got eight, eight, seven, or eight specials. Eight. Uh, eight. 
I, 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 yeah. We got 2008 Contraband, 2009. I swear to God, what's this one? Uh, Aqua Holocaust, uh, 2010. Love the title. 2012, Fully Functional. Uh, 2014, Bear. Uh, 2016, Freedom. By the way, your fucking titles are brilliant. Uh, 2018, This Is Me Now. 2020, Intolerant. Um, that's a lot of fucking specials. Is that right? Or is that seven? That's a lot of fucking specials, man. I'm at, I'm at seven. Uh, you are at eight fucking specials. There's a, there's a week. So there's one that's like called fully functional was when the first time I gave up alcohol and then I took it back up again and now I'm off it again. So it's always, I always feel like sometimes, you know, people see your failures right in front of you, you know, any mistakes that you make, because mm-hmm. I always use, sometimes use comedy to air my mistakes. And so they won't happen again. Like I did this stupid thing thinking now that I've said mm-hmm. it to the world, surely I won't revisit that. And then off I go and I'm an idiot again. And then, you know what I mean? So I'm, yeah, I'm back. You're human. I'm back You're off human. the booze again and, and, now, and I, I had a bit of a slip up, but I found weed in my life, which made a big difference for me personally. Do you feel like, well, before I say, I'll say, I'll tell you my thing about the, the autobiography first, and I would say the, the great thing about the autobiography is even though you've told these stories through jokes and humor, you'll find that there's so mm. much more meat on the bone. And I'm not talking about digging up things that you haven't said. I'm talking about the things that you have, right? Because we're telling the joke and the punchline, but the foundation of where it's really come from or that whole world around it, um, you'll find a lot more, a lot more depth in just words, right? Words that I'm able to put out there. So what people got from my book is, wow, we thought we knew you, but we learned so much more. Mm. Right. We learn so much more. And, and rather than watching it through the combination of four specials, well, in this 300 page book, I, I gave it to you in a way that you've never been presented with it. And then I also I also voiced it. So I think there's an opportunity for you to put it on, you know, the hardcover. But then you also audio it as well. So you're technically doing another right. version of your specials. And, and not to mention, it's something that. It's presented to people that may not want to watch you. They may want to read you. Right, right. Right? I, like, there's a, there's a different world for that. One of my other fears is I'm, I'm almost illiterate. I, I, I have terrible handwriting, and I can hardly read with dyslexia and all that type of stuff. And I just know that if I had to record my own audio book of my life and it was like 200 pages, that's a fucking six-month job. I was born in Australia. That to me is fucking worth it. That's worth you doing it. The, the honesty alone of you going, the honesty of you starting your audio book by, this is going to take a minute. I have <laughs> dyslexia and, and my reading is not well. So just understand, for us to get here, the road and the journey was for you. Like, I mean, that to me, your, your audience knows you, dude. They know you. My, my, my father was uh, illiterate. Uh, up until the age of 35 to the extent that my mother taught him how to read uh, to the extent that my father to to hide it from my mother for all those years would get a newspaper every day and sit out on the veranda and act like he was reading the newspaper he would turn the pages for 40 minutes every day just to make him look like he was reading the news but he just was sitting there yeah i mean that's a you got to be a brilliant mind to hide that for so long <laughs> but now my dad and i haven't read it yet he's decided to write his autobiography and uh and he's handwritten the thing and he's going to start sending me a couple of pages a, a week there you go right? how old is your dad 
he's 80 years old. This is a fucking gift. I'm, I've never been more excited for literature to come over my fucking table than this thing. And he goes, it could get some dark in some moments, you know, so I bet it, there might be some uncle who did something wrong. Who knows? But we're going to find out. I love it. <laughs> when you when you say you said something else, Jim, that that I just want to highlight, man, you said, you know, you you've had your bouts with alcohol. You started, you stopped, you started, you stopped. And you've been you've been open about that. Right. No. Um, I'm going to tell you what's dope about that, man. There's some people that are doing the same thing and they feel like they have to keep it to themselves. You getting on the bike, falling off the bike, getting back on again, it shows that sometimes it's a never ending process. But are you in it to fix it for you or is it now about the wife, the kids? Like what's, what's, the, what's the want to fix it for you now? Well, it, it, is, it is for me more than anything, but the wife and the kids is definitely the motivation. I'm an old dad. You know, this is my my second child and I had him when I was 44 and I don't want to be gone by the time that he's mm. just a young teenager. I don't mm -hmm. think that's a fair thing to put him through. And I'd have to be a complete asshole to keep abusing my body as bad as I did for all those years mm -hmm. when I have the responsibility of a child who, whether they, you know, might look up to me or whatever. So there's, there's a little bit of that. And also I just got, I got, uh, I, I got tired of being ashamed, you know, okay. and, and that's what happens with alcohol. Sometimes you forget what happened or whatever, or you'd say something stupid to somebody, you know, I never did anything that I thought was sort of reprehensible, like really terrible thing. But I, I, I used to wake up every morning and go, ah, fuck. And since, you know, I haven't had a drink in seven months at the moment. And, Congrats, man. And since then I just haven't had any shame. And that's a fun thing. Now, have I had as much fun? No, I've been bored out of my fucking skull. And I, I, I'm not going to say that I don't miss drinking, but I, I tell you what, I, don't, I do not miss being in trouble all the time, whether it be with someone else or with myself, mm -hmm. you know, because I was often just in trouble with myself. I do not miss that. And so I feel like the benefits outweighs the, 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 the negatives, you know? I was never the drinker to the point of no return, but I can tell you at 42, I definitely don't drink how I used to, uh, but I don't, I don't party how I used to, no. you know what I mean? Like you got four kids fucking married. I don't have the time and I'm working like a goddamn madman. What I do know is that there's a, for me, I like the idea of, I did it at the highest level that I could when I was supposed to. Yeah. And at this level, I'm supposed to do something else. I, I always think that we're all basically like when you get a new video game and they say, do you want to create your player? Right. And you have to put mm -hmm. a certain amount of strength and a certain amount of agility and a certain amount of mm -hmm. speed. And everyone's got a certain amount of drinks that they're allowed to have in their life. And I just didn't space mine out right, but I had the lifetime I amount. You know? I, I love, I love then, that. I love the, I love the avatar, the avatar breakdown. There's only so much sugar you meant to have, and so much yeah. this you meant to have. There's so much of everything you meant to have, right? Until you eventually die. And I'd used up all my drinks because I used to be a champion drinker, but now I'd have like four drinks and I'd become like a lush and I'd become sloppy and I just. It, it doesn't take much. It didn't take much. And I'd wake didn't up. Take I, much. I was a great drinker and it just, it just left me. And it's like, ah, oh, well, you know, and I, I remember like I, I got embarrassed. It's funny becoming sober as an Australian, because in America, you, they, you rejoice this, you, you, you congratulate yeah. people. My Australia, brother, they call you a pussy. Yeah. My Australia, brothers were like, yes. oh, say it's not true. Yeah. Really? Oh, 
Uh, and then they ring each other up. You hear he's got sober. No, no. What's wrong with him? Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. When you, when you talk about now and you talk about your craft, do you see a difference in your craft since the sobriety? Or when you had your, when you had your ups and downs? Okay, I'll tell you this about being drunk on stage. Mm-hmm. I have had the greatest gigs in my life, blind drunk on stage. Gigs where I was just so in tune, it was unbelievable. My connection to the audience was fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. And I, I, they were all with me and it was wild and it was, and it was free. And I thought the best gigs I've ever had in my life were drunk. I've also had ones where I've been booed off stage, worst gigs I've ever had in my life. I'm a disgrace. Mm-hmm. People have paid money mm-hmm. to see this. Mm-hmm. How, how dare I mm-hmm. shortchange people in such a way? I'm ashamed of myself, right? Okay. Now I just okay. have good to really good. Right? A much better deal. <laughs> and I think, that's, I think that's a better deal with the audience. But the thing is, it's like fucking golf, right? Because, you know, you hit that one shot in golf that makes you think, I can still play this game. You had that one mm-hmm. drunk show where it was mm-hmm. unbelievable and you think, this is the key to my success. This is the drug that fuels me, that makes my mind free. Last night I walked out and I, you know, it was one of the first shows back and I was like, one large vodka will help me do yeah. this show. And it's like, but who's to stop it turning into two, three, four, five? Because I have no interest in one drink. And I, I, I used to say, I, I still don't think I'm an, al- I'm an alcoholic. I still don't subscribe to that idea that I'm an alcoholic and all that sort of stuff. And I'll tell you why. Because I used to go weeks and weeks without drinking and then just have to drink at work. Yeah. Okay. I don't believe I'm an alcoholic. I believe I'm a fucking drunk. Right? And so <laughs> I'm a drunk. Right? And so when I drank, I drank to get drunk. I never, I had no interest in having one or two drinks. That, that You're not a social drinker. You're not drinking to, to have a social drink. If you're going to do it, you say you're going to do it. Why the fuck would you do that? Have one drink? Yeah. If I'm going to have one drink, I'll have yeah. a lovely yeah. Coca-Cola. Have you had one of those? They're delicious. And, and, and you know, you, you, what, you want to mix rum with that and ruin it? No, that I only do that for when I get fucked up. So, so I'm a yeah, I'm a drunk, not an alcoholic, in my opinion. Now I know there's people that are sitting here right home, like that, going, actually, there's several different types of alcoholics, and you, sir, <laughs> they can't do or say that because self awareness is the best awareness, and you're not you're not running away from the idea of a problem. You're not running away from the idea of something that you know that you shouldn't do. You're, you're invested in that. You're yeah. saying that, you know, my problem is I don't do it halfway. There yeah. is no, there is no, like, um, there's no breaking point. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's, to me, that's, that's dope as fuck to understand. That's dope as fuck to, to just say, I know that concept, which is why I'm going to stay away from it. And, yeah, and yeah. there is no, there's no better atmosphere than the one of entertainment to do that full fucking speed. Because when you, when you're on the road, right, you're on the road. Well, you're in these environments that are 
are fucking intimate. Some of them are massive. After shows, you know, before shows, you're in nothing but people to people and fucking party like atmosphere. That's that's what comedians do. Yeah, also the, the, the people you're meeting afterwards when you're young and you're trying to meet girls or whatever, they're drunk as well. You got you got to be on the same page as everybody else who's around you. It's sort of weird, but I'm not at that sort of stage. I I always I always talk to guys I grew up with in Australia who sort of like, how's the drinking going? And you're just like, I I know these blokes. They would be worse than me. If their job was when they showed up to work, there was a bottle of vodka Absolutely. in the dressing room every Absolutely. single time. And then after they finished work, everyone wanted to buy them a shot. And so it's like there, but for the grace of God, I'm telling you, like, it's not that easy to ignore that. And you, you, you want to have fun. You, you finish work at fucking 1030 at night. You want to wind down and you're in a town that you don't know. There's nothing more boring in the fucking world than just doing a wank in a hotel room. No, you're, you're meeting people. You're meeting people. I mean, you're, you're truly, you're truly signing up for the new. And you said something very interesting. You said, look, when you get there, there's a mm. bottle of what I like there. When I'm done, everybody that saw me, I provided a good time for them. If I decide to interact with them after, they want to have a yeah. good time back with me. Now, that good time can come in so many mm. different ways. That many time, that good time can come from so many different, you know, uh, fucking ideas. It can be, mm. hey, you want to smoke some weed? Hey, man, you do, you do cocaine, you do whatever. Mm. All of these people are there. Hey, you want to fuck? You want to have sex? Yeah. Like, it's all there. It's the pick of the litter for what we do when we're done doing what we do. So, and it was a lot. It was a lot more fun before everyone everyone could take photos of you doing it. Back, I mean, shit, <laughs> fame Christ. back in the day was a lot more. Fame fun. back in the day was a. It's, there is no world. There is no world for that. I run. I run from a fucking uh, green room. I, there's no world where I ever fuck. Kev, you going to the green? Absolutely not. Kev, you going to VIP? Fuck you. Absolutely not. Hey man, after this, we got some people. Man, it's a. It's like a nice group of people down in the room. They all went absolutely fucking not. Yeah, people I with run. their phones. You think you're safe? You'll just be telling a story. You'll tell a story, and someone will bring their phone. And you go. I'm just telling this story. I'm trying to be cool now and tell this story <laughs> I, I, listen i can tell a story and you know my wife can't get mad my wife is actually right here this is back in the day when i was younger and you know one of the one of the craziest things when when you were a comic is after the show mm. after the fucking show it's like you know, there, there's these people, men, women, groups of people, and you say, yo, what is there to do in this town? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what is the to-go spot? Mm. Oh, tonight? Well, tonight everybody goes to such and such. And you know what? All right, I'm going to go. Y'all want to go? Yeah, you go, and you end up going to this place, and it's a group of people that you don't know. You have the best fucking time ever. The best time, and you attach those times to every fucking city you were in. Yeah. I remember that when I was 22 to fucking 28, 27. Like, that, that run of freedom that run of oh my god we're in this state this city and then it grew to being out the country like that's that's how you got the best of these environments that's how you got to know and see the city states countries like it all went hand in hand so you know as we grow up we're, we're only able to make these decisions that we're making now and be poised and polished because we know about the other side yeah yeah yeah. I, I, we know 
one of the last times I went out out was because because strangely enough, strip clubs are the place where no one has their cameras out. They're actually one mm-hmm. of the safer places to go out, ironically. Mm-hmm. But I, I never go to strip clubs or anything like that. I, I'd sort of gotten to the stage where I was drinking a bit too much. This is a, a few years ago. I was drinking too much. I, I, every time I went out, there was terrible photos of me with people where I look all glassed eyed. And I was like, and so a guy comes up to me at the meet and greet afterwards. And he's like this, I own the strip club, right? If you come down, we'll give you and your friends your own room. You can have drinks there, all that type of stuff. You won't be bothered. No one has cameras. I'm like, that sounds like an ideal night, right? Mm-hmm. So we go down uh, with the bloke. He walks us into his strip club like that. And then the DJ goes, Jim Jeffries is in the house. Oh, and I'm like, Jesus all Christ. right, well, that fucking ruined that. Oh, now I got a bloody guy. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's, it's today's time. It's today's time, Jim. Look, we got you have to say that you did it when when you were supposed to. And I think in hearing you talk on this on this podcast, man, um, you know, you you've never not been an open book, but you said one thing that stood out to me, and that's about your health, your wellness, and you want to be around. At this point, you 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 survived it. You know, it's like it's like the drug dealers. You ever you ever hear a drug dealer? Hear about a drug dealer that's had this crazy success selling drugs, and he has everything. He bought it all. He's got the houses. He's got the cars, and he's still selling the drugs. And you go, why don't you stop? Like if you got all this, eventually you're gonna get caught. Yeah, yeah. So why don't you stop? If you did this and you got here, why don't you just walk away from it now? And they go, I can't. And then eventually they end up in jail and they end up spending the rest of their life in jail. Well, you know the end game. You know know the final stages of of what can happen if you don't turn it around completely. And I think, and you knowing that, it's dope as fuck to take the steps in the right direction. Look, it's going to sound very cliche, but my kids are my most important thing to me. I take more pride in being a good dad than I do being a good comedian. Absolutely. I don't... I don't, you know, I don't always know if I succeed at that, but I try very hard at that. (laughs) And I don't think, I don't think I, I, in, in my, in good conscious, I I could uh, keep drinking and partying hard when I'm this age with a kid, you know, like you got four kids, right? Four. I got a four bag. Why, why haven't you had the snip? You're not going to have the snip. I'm going to have it. What do you mean? Only reason why I haven't had it yet is because I'm fucking shooting and they say you need two days Two to three days on like some with your balls on ice. Oh, I'm having it as soon as I'm having it soon, right? I've had, I'm, I've no, had, I'm going I've had, to get very soon. I've had one child with each with two different women, and mm-hmm. that's enough for me. I've told them they're both, you know, two brothers, and I said I'm getting the snip. My dad hasn't got the snip, and because this is his actual words, he said to me, he goes, uh, he goes, you don't want to do that because not some women, not all women, but a lot of women they like to see the cum. And then I said, Dad, um, you still ejaculate after you yeah. uh, have this. And then he, he went, oh, do you? I'd get that then. I've never seen someone change their mind about something so quickly. He thought that after you had a vasectomy, you were just shooting dust out. He said, oh, you don't want to do that because the, some women enjoy. He wanted to educate you, son. Listen, some women enjoy the visual sight of sperm. I, I don't know who these women are, but obviously yeah. that might have been what my mum was into. Who fucking yeah, knows? Dad, Dad, <laughs> d- d- you still do that, Dad. There still has to be a punctuation. You got to no. finish. 
finish. But I, oh. I, I'm ready to get the snip. I'm not having any more. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's hard work. The kids and it's, uh, they're expensive little things, but that doesn't bother me. But they're, they're just, uh, it's just hard work. Well, I like that my wife is okay with it. Like you know, we it's something that we mutually agreed on. I was like, you hey, look, it's got to be one of us because we this, these numbers are getting high. We're, yeah, we're getting yeah. high. The household is. It's loud. I mean, it's 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 bigger. It's everything, but the numbers are are just getting high. So let's let let's just have a discussion. And I was like, here's what I want to do. She was like, yes, please. And that's all I needed to hear. I was like, okay. Yeah, yeah. You you played. You haven't played your cards right here, mate. Because you said you need two or three days, right? To to do the ice, the balls on ice. Your wife doesn't know it's two or three days. You can have two or three fucking weeks, man. She'll have to believe. You know, like, <laughs> you, you you find a sporting event, maybe it's the World Series or something, and you fucking watch that whole fucking thing, man. Yeah, you can yeah. Sit, sit there down. With I can go through a couple seasons or something on the couch with a, with, with, with some with some frozen peas between your legs and a blanket over the top, so you, you don't have to put them there all the time. And you, you just watch telly for three weeks, man. I am turning into a little old man. You know, I, I um I'm shooting a movie now, and I found out I I had. I think is it is it separated my ribs doing doing some stunts. So I just thought my side was hurting. Turns out I had some separated ribs all this time, Jim. How'd you separate the ribs? Were you exercising? I guess I took a took a hard fall during the stunt. So like your ribs can move, right? Like the they can like move, space out, overlap. They don't always have to break. There's different things that your rib cage can do. In so this you case, do your own stunts. So you Jackie Chan the whole thing. You well, no, stunts. I don't want to say I do my own stunts. In this case, I was doing the back half of the stunt that my stunt guy does. So my stunt guy's been with me for a long time. He's fucking good. And this was the back half piece to it, but I did it about 15 to 15 to 20 times in different angles, different ways. And I think at some point, something was just like, oh, fuck this. And it just kind of moved around a little bit. I yeah. moved around. Uh, so- you, you, can, you can tell me that and I'll have sympathy, but when you're chatting to The Rock, do you, uh, Dwayne Johnson, do you, do you actually tell him about things like oh, this? He's, he's a panther. He doesn't do his own shit. Oh, he doesn't do his own shit. I I'm thought he was like, but he was a wrestler, man. He did all the flips and shit. No, I thought I'm he fucking, would do it. I'm fucking with you. He does, a, he does a lot of shit. He does a lot of shit. He's getting old too, but we're getting fucking old. Bodies can't do that shit no more. Same way you talk about drinking. Same way we talk about all that. Like you can't, even a traveling, like think about us with touring now. Like, do you take a deep breath now when you're like, all right, 20 dates coming up. Is it the same level of excitement? Well, what I do is I, I used to do every week and every week and every weekend. And then once I broke up with my ex, who's the mother of my son, I wanted to have him every second week. So I, I moved my life into, I perform every second week and every second week I have my kid and I, I don't travel when I've got my kid. And then the next week I, I, I do TV or whatever, but I won't do that. So that actually made my life a lot easier. You know? I like it. Yeah. Every, like every, it. every second week. And then, um, but I, I do, I do look at, you know, I've always said, I do not get paid to tell jokes. I would tell jokes for free. I love it. I get paid to get on airplanes and stay in hotel rooms. That's why oof. I get paid. <laughs> oof. Oof. I, I will say this, man. I am a, I'm a fan of your body of work. Um, I love the separation in space and consistency that you have put between your specials. Do you have a number? Before we close out, I want to know if you have a number. Um, you mentioned George Carlin and you mentioned that, you know, he's somebody that you admire. Oh, I, 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 I have an, I have an exact number. Yeah. What is the number? Uh, one, 
One more. One more to Carlin or one more for you? One more special is all I need. So that'll be nine. And I, I nine. 10 would be a good number, but I've decided I've decided I'm going to do one more. I'm booked in to do one more when I'm ready to do it. And uh, mm. uh, I, I, I just don't... <laughs> I just don't want to repeat myself or to get, um, you know, because because this is the thing, right? So uh, nobody loves the Beatles more than me, but I haven't listened to the last 15 Paul McCartney albums. I just stopped. I fucking love the guy. Mm -hmm. He meant so much to me. He means so much to me. But I'm not listening. Billy Joel stopped recording after the River of Dreams and he goes sells Madison Square Garden out because they wouldn't play his new songs. And so every time I bring it out a special, I feel like sometimes I go, this is my best work and it doesn't get watched as much as my old ones. And I just sort of think, I don't want them to diminish into a stage where you're just like doing it for the sake of doing it. I want my specials to be special. And if they're not mm-hmm. special anymore, I'll just call it a day. And I think nine's a good number. Anyone who wants to see what I did, they can go watch those nine. That'll be, you know, some of them are an hour 20. That'll be basically 10 hours of fucking stand-up comedy. That you mm-hmm. 10 fucking hours. So go watch that. You might like it. You might hate it, whatever. But the, it's not like you're going to look at my career after doing one more like he had so much more to give <laughs> I, I i'll put my energy into something else i think after that you know i'll still do I'll still stand up at one more special you could be more spot on i think you know it's just tough because at, at this stage for us we're you're just getting compared to your older self i mean to your younger self right like yeah. you're it's it's hard for people to watch you grow and support the the thing that you've grown into when they're familiar with what you once were and the laughs and craziness that came with that so as we get to this this place like you're talking about nine i'm like you know i got i got one more i don't i don't know if i get to nine i don't know if i get to ten like at one point it was trying to have ten as a body of work but you just i don't want to be jaded with the craft. Yeah. I don't want to get to a point yeah. to where I'm like, uh, I'm not having fun. Right. And, and I think when you're forced, when you try to force it, you start to blur that line. And I don't want to do that. I promise my fan base this. I will never bring out anything that I haven't put all my heart and soul into. I love that. And I feel like if I kept going after this next one, maybe that would be the case. I love that. I'd, I'd be bringing out things for the sake of it. And I, I wouldn't want to do that. I love that. And I'm I'm right there with you, man. I mean, which is why it's even taking me so long to to get on stage now. You know, I went up uh, like two weekends ago just to get up, just to see what I could find. Because I said, I need to just get around comedy and find the energy mm-hmm. um, in, in it again. Like, let me find the, the good, that spark. And I found other things to give me that spark. For example, this podcast gives me a spark, a spark of interest, talking to people that share passion for what I love, for what I do. This is a spark, a creative spark. I need to get that thing back again for that before I go back out and doing that. So in getting on stage a couple weeks ago, it felt good to feel the energy of talking about something new. I went through a a sort of a darker, not a dark stage, but I went through a stage in quarantine and COVID where a lot of comedians were like, I got to get back out there. I got to get back on stage. I missed the stage. And you know what? I hadn't stopped moving for 20 something 
for so for long. 23 something years of doing stand up, maybe 24 years I've been doing stand up and I'd been out there all every weekend and all that type of stuff or doing a TV. I had not stopped. I had never gone in 24 years. I'd never gone more than two weeks without doing stand up comedy. And I just enjoyed my son and just staying at home and being a good dad. And I actually felt really guilty for a while there. I thought, I shouldn't be enjoying this. The other people are hating it and I'm kind of enjoying it. And then I thought maybe this is where I should be in my life. Maybe I should just be home a bit more. And, and this is the world telling me to slow down. And then, you know what? I got back on stage and fuck me. I did miss it. I, I, I really did. I really did. I thought, I thought I was this more evolved human being that was just like, I can just be happy in my garden. You needed a reset. Yeah, but, you, you needed but a reset. It, it might have been the best thing to ever happen to me for stand-up because I, 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 I'd stopped appreciating it. I stopped appreciating mm-hmm. what how cool mm-hmm. this fucking job is, how great it is that I get to make people happy for a living. Now I know I make a lot of people yeah. angry and there'll be people commenting underneath here that I'm a knob or some shit, right? But the people who enjoy me, I make them happy. That's a fucking great job, man. That's a it's a it's a wonderful feeling. Jim, I don't think you said anything wrong. You, mm. you haven't said anything wrong. And I and I love I love your perspective. And of of self, I love how how I just love how aware you seem to be with you, right? And mm-hmm. and for that, I can be a fan. I can I can be oh, a fan. You. Like it's it's for you to just to be so open, so honest. You you are what the craft is about. You're what the fucking craft is about. I watch your documentary, and you you do <laughs> you're a very honest fellow as well. You Absolutely. you go what you go what's and all, man. I I, I appreciate that. Thank you, man. I, I can say, you know, these things are special when I leave with a better understanding of who I talk to. And I'm definitely doing that in this case, man. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Comedy Gold Mines. And if you do not know what we do, I'll remind you, we get inside the minds of amazing comedians. And oh my God, today, what an amazing mind it was. Jim fucking Jeffries, back on the road. God damn it, eight specials in the can. The number is nine. The number is fucking nine. And if you heard nothing else, uh, if you are a fan, well, know that this man is committed to being 100% within whatever he does in his approach to doing what he does. He is 100% about the craft. And this number nine is going to be special because it can be nothing less than. He said it here. Can, I, it can, here. I, can I give a quick little plug on my podcast? Which Fuck also yes, please. I, I got a podcast called Jim Jeffries. I don't know about that. And it's a pretty simple podcast is what we do is we get, we bring specialists, specialists on professors or whatever. And we can talk, we can talk about anything from the universe to fucking cheese. And I don't know who the guest is going to be. And then I say everything I know about the topic. And then the, the, the professor corrects me. And this thing's called, I don't know about that. It's a very simple concept, but it's a bit of fun. You might learn something and have a laugh. I love it. I love it. Fucking Jim Jeffries, Comedy Gold Mines. Guys, there is no show without you, and I want to thank you. And Jim, goddamn it, there is no show without you. And I want to thank you, man. I really appreciate you. Thanks for having me, Kevin. I, I had a good time, man. Comedy Gold Mines is a serious XM and LOL audio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, and Eric Weil. With Tastemakers Media, Emil Garner, and Ian McDonald.
Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks.